Welcome to the Diversity and Inclusion On Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary Medical College's Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill, and I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at the AAVMC. So on this episode of the podcast, I'm continuing the discussion about how the pandemic is affecting veterinary medicine and veterinary medical education in particular. And this is the season for graduations and new jobs and new beginnings and and all of that stuff that has kind of come to a bit of a screeching halt, if you will, because of the pandemic related to coronavirus 2019. Many fourth-year students begin their job search in the fall as they embark on matching with an internship or residency, early interviews with potential employers and all of that. And the process of finding post-graduation employment can sometimes be a lengthy process. And up until recently, it was considered, this was considered a job seekers market. Unemployment was very, very low in the profession. And, you know, most applicants to full-time employment post-graduation had several offers to choose from. Enter coronavirus 2019, and we are really seeing the landscape of veterinary medicine change. I mean, rapidly, just overnight. Practices are now doing curbside pickup for patients. They're doing telemedicine. They're only taking maybe emergencies for some practices. And as a result, so much of the, the kind of rapid change and social distancing and all of the things that have been happening, we're seeing some practices really struggle and they've had to scale back. They're furloughing or laying off staff due to low numbers of client visits and not much income coming in during this period. So thinking about, well, what does this look like for fourth year students who will be graduating without their ceremonies and then really kind of wanted to talk this and what the impact of all of this means for them. So to talk about this job hunt during the pandemic, I'm joined by Amanda Bates from the North Carolina State University's College of Veterinary Medicine. Hi, how are you, Amanda? I'm doing well. So I am tasked with the responsibility of helping our students make the transition from are really around similar to my my mission at NC State practice or an organization they want to work with. So it's, it's on and running for many semester, they really are interviewing quite heavily, right? And so early spring, depending on what area of veterinary medicine they're going into, they are meeting with employers. They are trying to figure out if they can visit practices. They're using externships, sometimes also as working interviews. So all of that's happening late winter going into the early spring. And then typically about this time, so we are in April, I was about to say March, but March happened for, for two years, apparently. Really it, ha- <laughs> it happened. It, it happened and then it didn't happen. And now we're in April. <laughs> Typically, by the time we get into early spring, most of our students have an idea of where they're going. So I know I've talked about the students who are looking for employment, but if you think about the students who are looking at internship and residency, a lot of that already got settled by going through the match process. So fortunately, by February, those students already knew where they were going. So that that segment of the student population is taken care of. But this is the time I would say, I'm going to ballpark it and say maybe about comfortably 70%, give or take, have an idea of a class where they're going. 
But there are still students typically, and this is common, and, and it's for a variety of reasons, quite frankly, who are still looking at this time right? And it, it may be because of life decisions. They've got a partner to consider. There's other things. And so I would say usually around 30% of students are looking for employment around this time. Okay. All right. So 70% are good. They're going, they know where their interns are, ships are, and, you know, and the rest have plans. All right. Yeah. So what's happening now? Who's <laughs> We know that they're not physically coming to your office, but <laughs> right. how has the landscape changed um, during the 87 days that March 2020 last <laughs> It seemed like a really <laughs> So here's, here's, there, there are two groups that I think right now are, are feeling stressed for two different reasons. There are the fourth years who had not locked up an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And are thinking about who are who are still in the interviewing stage, right? And we're still finding their their match. There are those students who are who are definitely kind of feeling that pressure, especially now that it's like every other distraction has been taken away because they're not in their they're not in the hospital. So now it's like, oh my gosh, I'm at home, <laughs> thinking about this every moment because graduation, which has also been, and at least on our campus, has been postponed. So it's like all these, they have all this free time to think about it. And so there's typically those students who are, who are scrambling and are trying to figure out how do I find an opportunity in this new climate? Mm -hmm. The second group, and I know that that wasn't the main focus, but I still want to recognize them are the third years. And the third years are in an interesting predicament, right? And so the third years, you know, and on our campus, there's a weekend where there's a switch off between the fourth years and the third years in May, right? And that's that's okay. early May. Well, I'm in the state of North Carolina. We are on lockdown. They are not on campus. So for third years, <laughs> not only are they thinking about the fact that externships, whatever that they were trying to do to even get a feel for practices have been shifted, but also clinical year may look a little bit different around the country. And then they are thinking about, and then what does this mean for me as a practicing veterinarian when I graduate next year? Right. Sure. So the, so there is actually two groups where the anxiety level is, is, <laughs> is high. And, and I, and I, I would be remiss not to mention them because in many ways I'm talking to them as much as I am talking to the fourth years, because even though their graduation is a year out there are things that I think that they can also be doing to kind of manage this crazy time we're in. For our fourth year students, you know, I, one of the things I'm seeing and that has been heartening is that for the students who already have offers, for the most part, at least in our case so far, they're still being honored. So I know that that's, you know, that's a discussion I've been having with my vet can colleagues in terms of our offers being rescinded and whatnot. There have been some, I've seen some cases where there have been some augmentations. And so a good example, I I can use this, is like many schools, we have offshore students from St. George's and Ross's. We had a student who was grad, who finished in January, was moved, she's from California, returned to California. If you remember, California was one of the early places to go on lockdown, was supposed to start a job in the San Francisco area. after she got through boards, everything, and went on lockdown. And they said, we can't start you that following Monday. We can't, we can only start you in April because they were also trying to be compliant. Student like that 
was worried because of, of the financial implications. But one of the things that I encouraged the students who already have offers in that case was talk to the employer because the employer was actually able to work it out that there were certain things she was able to get like her sign-on bonus mm. early instead of it being attached to the first check. So that's, that's its own issue. But for the students, overwhelmingly, I see that the offers have been, have been maintained. For the students who are, who are looking for work, there are a couple of things that make this process different than what they're used to. You know, they can't just walk into a clinic. Some of them can. It depends the state, right? And, right. I, and I think that the important thing is with, with all the anxiety that there's out there, we have to remember we're also a very big country and there are different things happening regionally. Sure. Right. So what happens in Oklahoma is very different from what happens in North Carolina. It was very different what happens in California. And so I, I think one of the things we have to be careful about is blanket statements because it, <laughs> it it may not apply in the state that you're in, to be frank, to be frank. Right. But one of the things I've been advising students and, and students are still getting interviews is that if they are still in the interview process and they haven't had a chance to visit, I was like, you need to, I've been telling them you need to maximize these virtual encounters as much as you can. So what a student can do if they're still talking through a process with an employer is actually make a list for themselves. What are the things they want to see and what do they want to know? Okay. And and, And then when they connect with that employer and say, okay, I may not be able to come in for a physical interview right now due to whatever state regulations are going on. Let's talk about how we can replicate this online. So I had one of my fourth year students, actually, we wrote down, what are the five things you want to see? She wanted to talk to the managing doctor. Mm -hmm. She wanted to talk to the support staff. She wanted a tour. She wanted to talk to a client because they were doing drive-thrus anyway. So there are clients out in the parking lot. (laughs) And if she could, she could see a a procedure. And so I said, all right, let's let's make a list of things that you want to see and actually talk to the employer and see if they're willing to set that up, even if they're holding up a cell phone or a camera, because we can't, we can't completely put the onus on the employer because quite frankly, they are trying to still keep a business running. Right. (laughs) They are also dealing with everything that's going on. And so I said to her with this, what you can do is make up your own tour, like your own, like, itinerary of what you want to see. And I'm telling you, you make it easier on the employer. And so the employer totally did that. Allowed just, it was like, she was there. It's almost like she had a GoPro camera on. (laughs) She was there and she was seeing things from their view. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So, so there's really, you know, the technology has come. (laughs) I I joke around a little bit that, you know, that, that some of us are overusing Zoom. (laughs) Right. Right. We are, but. Right. But there's really the things like Zoom, technology like Zoom and Hangouts and FaceTime and all of these other things really have allowed some of these gaps to be bridged, right? Right. Well, and how do you take what is arguably a very frustrating situation and turn it into an opportunity? Mm -hmm. If a practice... For example, obviously, because they have sort of they've slowed down their hours in response to what's going on, you may actually have more time to talk to support staff in a way that you couldn't. You may have an opportunity to talk to one of their clients because, like I said, if they're sitting in the parking lot anyway, (laughs) waiting for something, if if that happens to be the case, it would be cool to hear from a client perspective, right? Mm -hmm. And it and you get to have 
a different type of observation that maybe you wouldn't have if you were there in person. And so I think that at this period for the students who are in the interviewing process, they truly can really set up a customized experience if they're willing to sort of think outside the box. Mm-hmm. I think the group of there's there's probably a contingent of students who are they're not yet at the interviewing phrase phase, right? They're still talking and are, are still researching. And I think what probably the, the frustration that might be for them that are out there is especially with depending on how big or small the practice is and, and all the other features, maybe they're not getting as quick a response <laughs> as they would. Now, I would argue sometimes our folks weren't that great on the phone before this. So <laughs> it's not like <laughs> now there's an excuse, but I would argue some of them weren't as quick. Some of our got some vets that I love, but my God. <laughs> They're not quick on responding to email or phone. One of the things that I want to encourage those students is that there are people still hiring. Mm. So even if you're feeling like the vests that you're reaching out are not being responsive, you need to keep plugging away because there are employers that are hiring. It kind of goes back to that, that statement. I said that we are a national economy, but we also have different things going on regionally. Sure, right? sure, sure. I think it's wise to say how New England's going to be in fact impacted by this is maybe very different than the Southeast, the Plains, the West, whatever. So even if there is one market where maybe hiring has slowed down, that part of it's just due to what kind of industries and demographics and all that, that's stuff that none of us control, right? right? It doesn't mean that in another part of the country, if that's possible for you, that there aren't opportunities. Right. So what I'm hearing is that folks also need to be flexible during this time mm-hmm. in terms of where they're looking, yes. which I'm sure is advice that you give them anyway. Yes. <laughs> but, yes. you know, I think that that certainly the need to be even more flexible and creative is probably heightened at this time. No, absolutely. I mean, I I know that there's some some of my fourth years who they've had to make a bit of a pivot for their first job out of that school because whatever area they were looking at right now, there's an impact, right? So they they, they may not be able, especially if they were a little bit more niche in, in their area of veterinary medicine. And I, you know, here's the thing. We all have first jobs out of school. They are not forever jobs. Most, most first jobs out of school are not forever jobs, right? Right. right. So can you take the experience of where you, of the opportunity you get when you leave that school and grow from it and take it to wherever you're going? Absolutely. Right. It's just right. a matter of perspective. But one group, I, I, I said this earlier, I want to talk a little bit about the third years because if I don't mention them, Absolutely. I'm going to forget. <laughs> I'm going to forget. So third years, lots of anxiety running high <laughs> for all kinds of reasons. <laughs> and in fact, the fourth years in many cases might actually be more Zen than the <laughs> years are right now. Third years are like, what does this mean? Do you have a crystal ball? No. So I'll answer that question already. But here's, here's a couple of things I've been telling third years to do. If you've got some time and you probably, you may have more time than you've had all year. This is a great time to work on your LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm. If you've got one, update it, freshen it, get it, get, add information that maybe you haven't remembered to add. Okay. Once you've updated that LinkedIn profile, great time to connect with recruiters. There are a ton of veterinary recruiters that are out on LinkedIn. Many of them recruit at NC State. 
It doesn't even necessarily mean that you want to work for their company, but it honestly would help just to even talk to employers who are in the field and to see what the trends they're seeing regionally as well as nationally. Okay. Cause that will help kind of, that will help you guide your, your own job search when it gets to this time next year or well before this time. Okay. Other things they could be doing while you're also on LinkedIn, maybe they're veterinarians in areas of vet med you dream of being in. And this is a good time to connect with them. Quite frankly, a lot of us are at home. <laughs> Answer an email a lot quicker than we normally do because we're at home and can't go nowhere. So <laughs> I personally have been networking with everyone under the moon. I mean, quite frankly, if you can network with Oprah right now, you probably could make it happen because she ain't going nowhere either. So it's the same, <laughs> it's the same thing. Shoot your shot. <laughs> All right. So if there is a veterinarian who is doing something so out there and it's not something that most veterinarians do, or even if it's someone who's working in a, in a clinic that you really aspire to work in, right? This is the time to send them an email and say, hey, I'm a third year student or a second year or a first year or even a fourth year. You know, I would love to learn a little bit more about your work. Can we set up a Zoom call? Can we set up a phone call? Whatever. And, and have that conversation because like I said, they might have some time in their schedule that they normally wouldn't have, right? Mm -hmm. And along those lines, while you're reaching out to people, it's a good time to actually re research companies, organizations, and clinics that you would like to be a part of. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't really started to drill down that list, once again, you have more time, especially as we're, you know, some of us are entering an exam season, depending on where your vet school is in their schedule, and you will be actually exiting maybe the semester a little bit earlier or it might be truncated. This is a time to really do that research so that you can set yourself up for the post-pandemic job search. Right. Whenever that is. <laughs> Maybe 2022. I don't know. Either way, the advice still holds. It still holds. Uh, that that know, covers your ears. It, it doesn't even have to be vet med. It holds right. for everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, this is great advice. You know, so get that LinkedIn profile. Send yeah. those, you know, those, those connection invitations. Shoot your shot. This is a really great time also. I mean, you know, the other piece of what I'm hearing is this is a really great time to cultivate your kind of mentoring relationships, you know, really kind of make those, you know, those ties a little bit stronger so that you can really kind of leverage them and that those folks are there to really help you when, you know, when the plague lifts. <laughs> right. No, I, I mean, we, we talk about I know with my students, we talk about networking all the time. We talk about mentorship, right? But we don't, it's hard when it's abstract, mm -hmm. but it's different now when you, if you take the time to actually research and see who's out there and, and start building that network and using these skills, it, it, it takes what you're learning in the classroom and what everyone tells you to do. And it makes it a real experience. Yeah. And the other thing I, I keep remembering all these things, so I just want to make sure I say it is that and this is particularly for the fourth years, when you're thinking about your virtual tour, however you're having that interview, uh, the pandemic is also a great time to ask about work-life balance <laughs> and culture. I mean, you know what? Hey, here's the, because we always ask these questions. Do you, do you, are you, do you offer wellness? Uh, what, like what's wellness look like yeah. for you? What, well, this is a great time in the middle of a crisis to say, man, these are the things that we're doing. This is, this is yeah. what our team is doing. And, and you can learn more about a practice by how they are supporting their team during this really crazy time. 
Oh, that is great advice. Um, Amanda, are there any groups? I mean, you know, we've talked about, we've talked about kind of the, the interns and the 70% and, you know, the fourth years are like, ah, I'm out of here. Yay. And, you know, the anxious third years, but are there any groups or kind of populations within third and fourth year that really seem to be maybe disproportionately impacted by kind of all that's going on? I think unsurprising to to any of us who work in higher education, your first generation students, your students who are coming from maybe a lower SES economic background historically, and 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 sort of the implication for our students who work and go to school or maybe get a certain amount of financial aid and what does that look like? And I think that that's been the conversation in higher ed. And I think for every group, but I, especially those, those groups that are, that are a little bit more sensitive to this, I think there's something to be said about reaching out in terms of support at your schools just to see what is there. I know that we're all getting bombarded with emails. I know that my college has been very proactive in making sure that there are resources, but we have to remember that students are dealing this compounded in the middle of a crisis. And so sometimes information about that there's financial resources, that there's food resources, that there's all these other things get lost in the mix. And so I think in general, regardless of where you are for the students that are struggling and, and I'm, I assume there are groups that I haven't even thought about that are really going <laughs> through some stuff right now. I, I would always encourage you still reach out to whoever it is on your campus who you trust, because I, I know that all of these vet schools have been working hard to make sure that we don't let students kind of fall by the wayside just because we don't see them every day. Yeah, that's really, really important. I think that, you know, I, I wanted to bring kind of that particular lens to this conversation. Because, yeah, certainly this is something that is affecting everyone. But when we think about diversity and inclusion and really kind of mm. think about the needs of particular populations, we know that, especially for our first generation and our lower socioeconomic status students from, from those backgrounds, you know, the, the hurdles that, that mm-hmm. they, you know, overcame just to get into vet school were pretty, you know, pretty high. And now, you know, certainly we know on a regular scenario that there's students that are dealing with housing and food insecurity. And, you know, in the middle of a crisis such as this, we are just, I mean, we are like busted right on down to that Maslow's, the base of Maslow's hierarchy. (laughs) Do you have a place to shelter shelter in place? What does that look like? And even just some of the accessibility issues around, oh, well, we'll just have classes online. 25% 25% of Americans still do not have online access. Right. right. And right. so students have had to relocate. They have packed up and went home. Now, all kinds of things are happening. And so it is easy for things to get lost in the shuffle, especially when folks are companies, institutions. I mean, I've received three emails just since we've been chatting about, okay, this is what's going on in my neighborhood. And, you know, the Safeway is going to be open here and and here's senior hours. And and there's always this constant need for information. And that's really important, but sometimes it's almost overwhelming, right? The emails can't be too long. There can't be 15 of them. You know, it's, it's just difficult. Well, and I also, as you were talking, I was also thinking about our students who are parents, especially those who have little children, 
And I know that we have tried to be as sensitive as we can to be, to offer things <laughs> that to make sure that they are included, right? Because we know that now you've got a three-year-old to watch and you've got a five-year-old and you're, you know, all the stuff is happening. And so even homeschooling now. <laughs> right, and you're supposed to be homeschooling. I don't, but I'm, you know what? I think my, my poor niece called me and said, am I going to have to repeat <laughs> sixth grade? And I'm like, uh, given who I know who's teaching in your household, um, luckily you're smart <laughs> and talented and ahead. Uh, so, but you know, I, you know, I'm offering some career programming and I thought I was thinking really hard about what would be a time that maybe those students would be available. And if not to make sure they have access, because we don't want anyone throughout all of this to be disenfranchised, just, be, you know, because we we've had to deal with so many things and 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 so I I am definitely with you that I think we always have to be mindful and for the next God bless it crisis that happens that we do make sure that all of our students regardless of where they're coming from are supported and know they're supported and find different mechanisms to make sure they know they are supported. As we begin to wrap up, what is your best advice actually for <laughs> prospective employers? Whew, that's a question. <laughs> so here's here's the here's the real. I I let me take it from the fourth year perspective and flip it. If if you would ask the students right now, their concern is they haven't had as much time hands-on as maybe a previous class. And so I think that it's really important for employers who are recruiting right now to kind of talk through that with the student and to really get a good a sense on their, from their, their employer standpoint, what are the skills and abilities that these students are already bringing? And what is it that they feel like as an employer, they can reasonably bring someone up to speed with? We already know, and I've had to tell all, I tell the students every year, we already know on your first job, part of the reason you're asking about mentorship is because employers know that you're coming with a, a limited amount of experience or a different set of experience, and they want to make sure that you are field ready. Okay. And so I, I think that for an employer to kind of engage in that conversation, and I've seen employers do that already and getting feedback from my fourth years who are they're like, you know what? They understand they were already ready. They knew that they would have to spend a little bit more time mentoring me and they were cool with that. I think just even saying, I know all this stuff has thrown everything into a tailspin, but I'm willing to kind of help you get where you need to be so that we can be successful as a team. I think that that would go a long way because the biggest challenge for any student, regardless of crisis or not, it's confidence. Yeah, It's just being confident. It's just being, oh, wait, I've got a DVM after my name now. Oh my gosh, what do I, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I think that anyone that is willing to convey that they can invest in that student and, and really demonstrate that they do have confidence that they're going to be where they need to be as a, as a vet, I think that's fine. I think the other thing is for the employers who can do it is, you know, reach out to the colleges. Like once again, we have a career center that works with students. And so if you go on the vet camp page, you can see all of our members there, but reach out if you're still trying to recruit. I have, I have employers who reach out to me daily who are still trying to recruit. 
And quite frankly, I can almost guarantee the students are reading the emails now because once again, they're at home. So <laughs> this is a great time. If you're still hiring, get, you know, contact the schools. And even if they don't have a VetCam member, an academic dean or somebody in the, in the, in the community of that school so that they can get that information out because there are still students who are looking as well as our offshore, offshore students who tend to graduate off cycle or at different points. Great advice. Students and employers, reach out to the schools, leverage those resources. If you have a vet camp member on your campus, definitely touch base with that person. How, how many of you oh, are no, there? No, oh my gosh, you say this and I don't know the number. It's more than eight. <laughs> I can tell you that. I feel like I can name them. <laughs> but I, so they are but small but mighty. There, um, yes. <laughs> but we're on the we're on the AAVMC page, yeah. right? Like we are linked. So if you actually go to your page, yes, if you go to you the can AAVMC find us. page, you can find it. We will include it in the show notes. Um, Absolutely. If your campus or the campus that you want to recruit at does not have a VetCam member, definitely reach out and contact that associate dean for academic affairs. Usually, is the person or student mm-hmm. affairs is the person who can help you kind of connect all the people that need to be connected. Any other resources, Amanda? Off the top of my head? Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of information floating around. I think that you, if you can, obviously follow along the AVMA. There's a lot of great data that's coming out, I think, just to understand the industry. In terms of students, if you just even want to see who's hiring still, you may want to connect with your state uh, AVMAs. So, you know, we've got the NC AVMA and whatever version of that. If for nothing else, I think it helps to get an idea of the lay of the land in that state, particularly if you don't live there. So if you're moving to Illinois, if you're moving to California, really reach out to some of those groups just so you even know what's going on because they would have a good idea of what's happening as well. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you so much for taking time out of your... Very busy. <laughs> I'm, I mean, we're busy, but we're also at home. So let's let's not pretend here. <laughs> so thank you so much. And thanks again to your VetCan colleagues who helped put this show together. You can find information certainly in the show notes. We're going to put those some of those links into the show notes for this episode. So be sure to like our Facebook page and like and subscribe this episode of the podcast, which you can also find on most podcast apps. And so this has been another episode of Diversity and Inclusion on Air. Amanda, again, thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Always a pleasure. And so thanks for listening. Thank you.